Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning. We all, we all on and stuff? I'm just assuming everybody can hear me. Thanks. Appreciate that, Garth. Uh, my name is Jeremy Neville, and I am what? Cool. Um, I am one of uh, the elders or, or pastors here, and um, we are going to uh, be kind of not right at the end, but real close to the end of our study in Colossians today. Um, we'll probably be wrapping this up later on this month. Um, and uh, we get to go together through uh, a piece of scripture, and, and I'm going to read it, and we'll we'll kind of <laughs> we'll go from there. Um, but uh, I'm I'm pretty excited to walk through this, and if I'm completely honest, um, a little nervous. Uh, and so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read this and uh, <laughs> jump in. Uh, Father, uh, let my words be yours. Uh, you are holy and true, and I pray that uh, you would move through this place, that your Spirit would fall upon us here, that uh, we would be open to what you have to say through your word, and uh, that you would uh, just be with us now. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if uh, you would uh, turn to your Bibles, thumb to your Bibles, whatever whatever works for you, Uh, but if you've got one of the blue ones um, in front of your seat, we are on page 984, and we are going to be in Colossians 3, verses 18 through 4, 1 today. And uh, so I'll jump in and we'll get her going. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as it is for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You can respond by saying, thanks be to God. So the good news is, um, there's nothing controversial in this at all. There's no way that I right now am walking through a minefield with snowshoes on. Um, It's going to be fine. Uh, But this passage is part of a uh, a, a part of Colossians, um, and obviously, and I just want to take a quick step back before we, we dive in and just kind of recount a little bit about what we've been talking about. So Colossians as a whole is really busted up into about three-ish parts. Uh, part one um, really dives into Jesus' life and we should live to please him. Uh, part two is how... <laughs> We just watched Cars last night, and um, I, when I had just read this and it popped in, but how to not to, um, it's a Mater quote, um, how to not to, uh, sinful actions and, and mentalities. Uh, part three is how to live 
which is living as Christ-centered people. And today, we're going to kind of take what we've uh, read and gone through um, preceding this, obviously, um, and dive into the three areas of life that we are all, at some point in time, more or less, are going to find ourselves. Uh, we are going to dive into wives and husbands, so marriage. Uh, we are going to dive into children and parents. Uh, and we're also going to dive into slaves and masters. So the air quotes um, <laughs> is because in our current context, it's really more about employee, employer, but we'll, we'll kind of dive at, into that in just a second. Um, but here in Colossians, I mean, we just went read through it. It's, it's kind of quick one-sentence things until we get into the slaves and masters piece, and then it's a little bit deeper. Uh, but this is not an exhaustive look in these areas. So we're actually going to also be going back into uh, Ephesians chapter 5 a little bit because it lends some deeper detail um, into, in, into the passage here. Um, but I want to also kind of give, again, a little bit more cultural context as far as who Paul is speaking to um, when he wrote this letter to uh, the Colossians. And so currently, I mean, it, Colossae was, you know, in, they had a domestic code that kind of existed within uh, the Roman world called, uh, I'm, I didn't take Greek class, so paterfamilia, for maybe, um, I think is what, is what that's called. And, and that would be that the male, the man in the family, the dad, uh, had total authority. Um, on how to manage the house, household, uh, to do it in an honorable way, but that was without question um, the, the law of the land. And, and at the time, the family actually mirrored or was a microcosm of the society or the state as a whole. And so the health of that household was a direct uh, reflection of the well-being of, of the state. And so when Jesus shows up, and, and likewise, uh, other, other Roman or other religions that have shown up before, uh, the Greeks and Romans were super skeptical um, when these other religions attracted women and servants and could kind of destabilize the family because of some of the things uh, that they were, were preaching. Um, you, know, you could kind of lump in just any marginalized individual. So they were really, really skeptical of that, right? And I think the Greek term for skeptical that they're using here is, is sus? Is that, is that? Sus, yes. su okay. Totes, sus. Um, probably. Uh, so moving away from that, from that paterfamilia, um, would really kind of mean that you wouldn't worship those Roman gods of the household. You know, this was cr true not just of Christian converts, but Judaism. Um, and, and that conversion would see you shunned, like very Dwight Schrute shunned, right? Like we're, you're out. And, and you'd be met with hostility because of that conversion, um, and, and that conversion to Christ would have been the same way. In, in our modern day, and I've experienced this with some friends and some things, um, when, when folks would convert from Islam over to Christianity, the same sorts of things happen. Um, I grew up in Northeast Indiana. I didn't grow up in, I, from Northeast Indiana. A lot, there's a lot of Amish up there. My cousin married an Amish gal, um, and they naturally had like 11,000 kids. But um, her, she doesn't talk to her family. The same sort of thing happened there in, in being shunned. But the domestic code was incredibly important to keep things stable. And as we've kind of talked about in this passage and that we hear this story, when Jesus enters the picture, 
and, and we are emulating him, he kind of turns that on its head. He changes everything. And so Paul in this letter is outlining how that inward change in us as Christ followers impacts our everyday relationships in light of living the life that we are directed uh, to lead as Christ-centered folks. And so now, we, we get to talk about marriage. Um, and uh, you, think, you think they'd leave Dad alone, uh, but, but they don't. And I appreciate the consistency. And yeah, this is awesome. So that first verse in Colossians, wives submit to your husbands. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, when I signed up for this, uh, this thing, um, and he's not here so I can talk about it. Trey uh, just came out with this, and he said, hey, here's what we're going to be preaching on through Colossians, and then this thing was like relationships. And I was like, oh, man, I love relationships. Check. Yeah, I was the first one to respond to that email, and the, the Google, dot, yeah, and Jacobs is shaking his hand because everybody was like, holy crap, Neville's on it, you know. He was really excited to preach about relationships. And, and I checked it, and I should have remembered what it was like in my military background, where like, you don't volunteer for anything first. When, it, when, when the sergeant shows up and is like, I need five volunteers, for what? I need four volunteers. Like, that's kind of, kind of what happened. And then I read the passage, and I was just like, oh, oh this, is, this is gonna be, this is awesome. Um, because, there's, because people don't have opinions about this. At all. There's no way in this day and age that we could, we could go through a passage like this where it talks about wives submitting and slaves and masters and, you know, parents and children. There's no way that we could go through this in today's culture and, I, and, and get out perfect, right? There's no way. Like, the, the chances of me, I, I, not, not here, right, but like you, you read some of this and where I go with it, um, I think is going to be okay, uh, but don't, don't tweet this, uh, or tweet it. I don't care. Nobody knows who I am. I'm not getting canceled. All right. So Tim Keller, um, it, he and his wife wrote a book together, um, which I didn't write at the beginning. And I'll tell you here in Meaning of Marriage. Boop. Um, and he wrote that the ultimate goal of marriage is to have a mission to help God do the work in the other person because the goal is to walk together towards the throne. So how does this happen? If we're looking at marriage, and we, Paul started with the wife, and we'll get into some details here in a second. He also talks about the husband, and we get some more detail out of this in Ephesians. But how do we as married folks walk together towards the throne? So, um, and I only learned what this meant um, probably uh, a month ago. So TLDR, had no idea. Um, but we are the imago Dei or image bearers, and each person in a marriage, husband and wife, has the role to bring out the best in the other, to call them to good, and to walk together towards Jesus. That's, that's ultimately where we want to get. But again, Paul didn't give, in this instance, a, an exhaustive look at what that looks like. Um, it was two sentences in this. But we will, when we look at the entirety of Scripture... Uh, where marriage is mentioned in other areas, or you know, also we see how, how Jesus commanded us to interact uh, with, with people in our own lives, um, it gives us a, a little bit more clarity. And so in Ephesians, uh, which is page 978, if you were to go backwards in your Bibles, the blue ones, 
um, chapter 5, verses 22, um, it, it gives a little bit more detail. So here, Paul says, uh, again in Ephesians, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its Savior. So now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. That gives a little bit more context, right? Because now we're hearing how this is supposed to occur. It's just not some weird ethereal sort of, um, sort of definition. Um, but also in Ephesians, if, if we go back just one more verse before that, he says that uh, in, in giving, uh, go back to it, so it's kind of verses 18 through 19, but verse 21, Paul's calling folks to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it's mutual, right? There's mutual submission that we're going to be talking about. Um, so Paul starts with, by talking about marriage with the wives. And that would have been very different back then because part of that pattern familia um, really is just directed at the husband and the wife just kind of gets folded into that. They don't even get mentioned. And so for Paul to jump in and bring them in first and address them first gives them, gives them some meaning, gives them their seen, their known, they're part of the Imago Dei, recognizing them as, as fellow image bearers. Um, so the, the word submit, though, here is, is a Greek word. Um, and uh, for those that have, I, I'm going to mess this up, it, it's <laughs> hupotasso. Is that close? I'm looking at, can you hear, is that close? Hupotasso? Sound about right? Sound Greekish? Okay. Andrew's Greek. Sounds Greek, right? All right. So, um, so, so this word is a, a, often a military word, meaning to arrange under, right? Um, well, right. That's what it means. Um, so some quick context there. So I mentioned it just a little bit ago. So I was in the military for about six-ish years or so. I was in the Army. I was in the infantry. And so we were kicking indoors and shooting guns and blowing stuff up. Um, it, was, it was pretty amazing. Um, and I joined the Army um, at the, <laughs> the impressionable age of 27. And uh, I had, a, had my, my wife and, and kid, and uh, Cooper, and we moved to Washington State uh, as, as one does when you're in the army. And I was now under the authority of people that I was, in some cases, six years older than, um, which, was, which was interesting. And they had been in this army culture for a while, and I was, it was new to me, and it was kind of fun and kind of cool, and we would go camping. Um, and, and I'm telling you, there's, 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 there's kind of three lives when you're in the army. There's garrison life. And garrison life, you're just kind of, you, you, you go to PT in the morning, and then you come home and eat breakfast, and then you go back to work, and you do whatever inane task they have for you throughout the day. And then at some point in the evening, between the hours of 3 p.m. and midnight, you go home. You just never know. Um, it's great. Um, and then there's field life, which is when you get to go camping with all of your friends, and then you're out in the woods, and you're forming patrol bases and doing all this other nonsense. Um, and, and then the other part is, is when, you, when you get deployed, and then it's camping um, with higher stakes. Um, 
So my first experience into the field, I was really excited, got everything packed up, and we go out there, and we've got our weapons, and we're doing cool tactical army stuff, and we're, we get our, our area set up, and uh, my squad leader calls, calls us over, and there was a bunch of us new guys that had shown up, and he's like, all right, it's time to qualify. And I'm like, wow, we're gonna qualify out here, like with shooting rifles, so this is gonna be, this is gonna be dope. Um, not what that meant. Um, I didn't hear him right, because I heard qualify, but what he said was koalify, as in the bear. Right, I had the same thing, Jeremy. I was just like, uh, what? And I knew it was a problem when all of the other guys that were there were like, oh yeah, and I was like, oh crap, this is going to be great. So what koalifying is, is that however tall you are, that's how high you have to climb up the tree and hang holding on to the trunk, arms and legs, upside down. Yep, 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 that's what we did. And the person that held on the longest didn't have to do push-ups like everybody else did. And so if you dropped off the, the tree, you were down there doing push-ups until everybody else had come down off of said tree. Right, yeah, yeah, this, it was awesome. Let me tell you, I'm six feet tall, right? There were other guys that were like this, and I, and like, you know, they fall and it's boop, no big deal, but I fall and, you know, I'm, I'm drinking out of a straw for the rest of my life, right? So, really, really sketchy, but I had to do what the baby sergeant told me to, right? I can't, I couldn't go against that. There's no pathway the other direction. That is a one-way street when we are talking about military terms, but... In this context, there's also a non-military meeting. And this is a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. So Paul is calling on these wives, on wives, to submit to Christ, or submit uh, to husbands as the church submits to Christ. What does, even, what does it even look like, right? What in, in our, our cultural, cultural context today, I think there's a lot that it is, but probably more that it isn't. Um, Kathy Keller, um, she's married to Tim um, in their book, The Meaning of Marriage, and she, she's got a, a good definition that, she, that gives it some, some decent meaning here, I think, where it means a woman brings her strength to the table without being mealy-mouthed. I had to look that up. I didn't know what mealy-mouthed meant, um, which means afraid to speak frankly, so she's not afraid to speak frankly. And the wife is bringing her strength to the table of marriage. Now, we're going to get into the husband's role into some detail here in just a second. Um, but those things are drawn out of the wife because of the love that the husband is giving her. If, if, if the husband is maintaining this, and we'll get into it, like I said, uh, this attitude where, where he is to love his wife as Christ has loved the church, that is a sacrificial love. And even though Paul is bringing the wife up first, and it, we're going to get into this here in just a second, guys, we love first. That, that sacrificial love is what draws our wives into, into the place that Paul is, is, is talking about. It's not a, a, a do what I say. It's not this submission where wives to be quiet um, at all. 
Um, <laughs> one of our, our favorite movies, uh, I, like westerns are cool still, right? Like there's, I mean, spaghetti westerns are gross. Like no, I mean, sorry, Clint Eastwood's whatever. Um, however, um, number one, I think we can all agree, Tombstone, right? Number one's Tombstone, without a doubt. And if, and if you defer to that, we can talk outside, but it's Tombstone. Um, after that, it gets really wishy-washy. Some people are like, oh, Unforgiven's great, or, you know, Silverado was like, you know. Um, but I got to tell you, if you haven't seen it yet, um, Open Range is real good. Open Range, anyone? Yeah, so my wife agrees with me. So that's the only opinion that matters. Um, but Open Range is fantastic. And in this, Kevin Costner's in it, Robert Duvall, um, Robert Duvall plays Robert Duvall. Um, <laughs> Kevin Costner isn't necessarily Kevin Costner, um, like cause Kevin Costner just plays himself in just about every movie. Um, but he plays Charlie Waite, and he, Charlie Waite's this this cowboy um, that has a, a bit of a sordid past. Uh, he did some things with the, the U.S. Army and um, was just an absolute fighter. And he had this code that he lived by, and everything was black and white with Charlie. Um, and and I, I loved his, his character, but he, he gets drawn in to this situation in a town, and the town's doctor has a sister who's played by Annette Benning, um, and he really takes to her. But it's not this lovey-dovey thing. It's just, I mean, like Charlie's just this side of a caveman. And, and Annette Benning is very, very put together and very Annette Benning. And at one point, <laughs> they're, they're on horseback and they're going somewhere. And Charlie's like getting ready to leave. And he's like, all right, well, go. Go, go on. And she just sat, sat there and just looked at him and was just smiling. And like, was, like you could see the love in her eyes. She was just like, oh, he's He's so cute that he's trying to tell me what to do. And, and Charlie looks at her and is like, How, how's this going to work if you don't do what I say? And she laughed at him. And I've never, been, I've never identified with a man more <laughs> than, than when my wife laughs at me when I say things um, like that. Um, but this isn't, that's not the type of submission that we're talking about here. We, we, are, we are not, it's not that women are to be quiet. It's, it's, that, it's that women are to recognize the role they have and the role the husband has within their marriage. And we're going to dive into it, like I said, but the, the husband's job is to draw that out of his wife, to bring her to a place where she can see Christ living in him. He is pouring into her so that they can both then have Christ living with her. Now, that came out maybe a little wrong as I'm, as I'm thinking through it. The husband is not responsible for the wife's salvation, right? That, that's on her. But in, within their marriage, they have roles that they are, they are trying to fill. But it, like I said, this happens with, with the husbands first. And as we keep talking about marriage and we get into what this is going to look like um, together, Paul does move in and, and addresses the husbands directly. And again, it's, it's one sentence. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And there's further context. Again, if we go back into Ephesians, 
where he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without wrinkle, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be holy, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she and let the wife see that she respects her husband. When we dive in, and, and I think this 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 kind of pattern familiar that, that Paul is, is in the middle of because of who he's addressing. Um, I mean, they, they, there was an understanding that the wives, you know, the husbands aren't to be jerks to their wives. You treat them well because there's this, again, microcosm of the state that's taking place. Don't dishonor them. Raise children together. But a lot of times those guys back in the Greco-Roman world, they'd have mistresses on the side. That was a, kind of a cultural norm. But Paul, again, takes this cultural norm and puts it on its head because everything that we're talking about here is pointing to what was previously said in Colossians and how to live a Christ-centered life. And that would not clearly, having mistresses on the side, would not have lined up well with anywhere else in, in Scripture. So this, this word for love, when, when Paul is writing about um, husbands loving their wives, is agape. That's the, that's the term that's being used, and that means sacrificial. So sacrificing yourself in order to elevate your wife to bring fullness to her is to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is where we start. It may have been mentioned second, but guys, that's where we start when we talk about loving our wives, our wives well. Paul also calls husbands not to treat their wives harshly, uh, you know, not to be bitter towards your wife. This can lead to resentment, um, you know, to love, to love our, our wives well. Man, I've been married, uh, we have been married for, I say we, this, my wife's over here, uh, if you don't know, and We've been married, it'll be 19 years um, at the end of this month. And um, I'm really, really excited about that um, because uh, she is awesome and uh, really uh, calls me to good um, in, in everything that I do. And I, and I love our relationship. I've been married to somewhere between three and six different versions of Tiffany. And, um, and they just keep getting better. You know, like it's, we're at Tiffany probably 5.0 5 at, at this point, and they just, they're, they're just great. Um, they have been since the beginning, but she is a very different woman than the one that I married almost 20 years ago. 
Um, she uh, has, has found her soul and that she has gone through a lot. There's been a lot of healing within her. And man, this, uh, she is, she's just dope. And, and we, have, we have a really, really good time. Um, I, uh, she has been married to somewhere between 12 and 18 versions of me. And I can't say that some have been better than others. There's been, there's been some regressions, uh, and there's been a couple of steps forward, and then we go back. It's, it's, just, it's just life with the rubber band that is me, apparently. Um, but she's, she stuck it out, and, and I really, really appreciate that. Um, and I've failed a ton with her. I, um, I, I started writing it down, and then I was like, I'm running out of paper. Um, but she has, has stuck by me when I have not been my healthy self, and, and, I'm, and I'm not quite fully there. I don't know that I ever will be. Um, but in those times where I am uh, quick to anger, right, where I, 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 I have these conversations in my head with her and then I get all upset, but I never had the conversation with her. Like, that's weird, but it happens. Um, and, and all of these things that take place because I'm a sinful man and I can be incredibly selfish. And, and I know that when I am... Um, in, in those places where I am not loving myself well, as, as Paul's talking about, right? Um, that, that, that is where I know things are going to go sideways here. And it happens all the time. And it's usually I'm, I'm reacting out of something that I am either not currently dealing with well um, or, well, ignoring. Um, or I'm being just friggin' lazy because that's a thing for me. Um, and, and when I am, am not being attentive to those things, if I'm ignoring them, um, or leaning into my personality, which is just like, don't want to deal with that. We'll just put that down over there, um, and lock that away. Um, that, that's when things over here, here go sideways. Cause that just bubbles up. It just, it gets, it gets gross. But that also happens when I put Tiffany in a place she ought not be. When a lot of that comes out is because I have elevated Tiffany to the place where Jesus is supposed to sit. And now that puts so much pressure that she doesn't even know about on her. And then she's going to let me down. Every single time. We talked about it earlier with money, right? How it's a horrible God. Spouses are also horrible gods. It's, she gets put in this place, and, and I hold her to this standard that she cannot meet. And then I get resentful and bitter when she does not re- meet this impossible standard that only Jesus can fill. This also applies to kids and parents and jobs. I saw you pumping your fist over there. You're going to take that back. Jesus, according to my notes, greater than Tiffany. Tiffany. <clears throat> so, if, if the wives love, it, how wives are loved is a direct reflection on how a husband feels about myself. So, if I don't have her in the right place, 
There's no way that I can love her in the way that she's supposed to. And that love that I have for her, as Christ loved the church again, is what is supposed to draw this out of her, this, this, this mutual submission, this submission to her husband. There was a book that we read called Love and Respect. Has anybody read this book, Love and Respect? Love and, thank you. Uh, by Emerson. Emerson, what was the last name? I can't, whatever. Um, oh, Egrix. I did write it down. Um, and he had this really interesting um, diagram in there, and it was called the crazy cycle. And crazy cycle has to do with love and respect. <laughs> crazy, I know. That's the name of the book. And so if the wife is feeling loved, then there's an arrow pointing to respect. She is going to respect her husband. And if the husband is feeling respected, she's going to love, he's going to love his wife. And, and not just like fall in love, but like love her well, right? And so there's this cycle that keeps going. But the moment that the husband, usually, is not loving his wife well, is she going to respect that, that man? That gets degraded, or it can. Now it can go, th- th- this is a two-way street, but what I'm, I'm pointing out is that you get into these crazy cycles and stuff just goes sideways. And guys, this is not going to be this exhaustive, well, if I just, it's not, this isn't also necessarily a checklist for, for marriage that, oh, if I do this, I do this, I do this, everything's going to be fine. It, that, that's not how, how this is, is, is going to work out. But at the end of the day, we are to love men, our wives, as Christ loved the church. And in response, ladies, that would be how the church would then respond to Jesus in submission and love. Does that make sense? Just step on any landmines? If you have any questions, feel free to email jeremy.jacobs at seekrefuge.net. I got you. Um, so quick check-in. Um, everything, these verses, again, these are, are relationships that we all find ourselves in, more or less. Um, at some point, uh, you know, we've got some folks that aren't currently married, but you're, you're probably a son or a daughter. Um, I think just about all of us are employed somewhere or leading employees, um, more or less. But in all of these relationships, Christ has fundamentally changed the way we interact with people, you know, with these fellow image bearers. And, and this is all image bearers, not just like folks that look like we do or agree with us. Uh, we, we live this, this out always. Um, and it's, it's easy, but it's not. And I thank Jesus for the grace he gives us when we mess this up. So we move from marriage into uh, parents and children. Colossians 3, 20 through 21 gets into uh, the parents and, and children dynamic here. Um, and, and that's... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty excited uh, about, about that piece. Uh, children, obey your parents in everything. Let's pray. Um, game on. Uh, children, obey your parents. Uh, I lost my place. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Oh... Man, I love the first part of that verse. <laughs> uh, children, always obey your parents. 
uh, because it is pleasing unto the Lord. Um, but it also talks about fathers not aggravating their children, for they will become discouraged. Um, so keep in mind, this, I mean, we're talking about one of the original Ten Commandments here, right? Uh, honor your father and mother. Uh, it's being that it's mentioned again, uh, I feel it conveys the need uh, to be repeated uh, because it's important. And as parents, saying things over and over and over and over again is a pretty foreign concept, right? Never, never, ever happens. Now, Ephesians, again, because we keep going back and forth to this, gets into this a little bit more. Uh, and it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. There's that first, uh, one of the first commandments with a promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. I'm not going to read into this a whole heck of a lot. But... It does say that if you obey your parents, children, you will live. There's a flip side to that <laughs> that you can examine on your own. <clears throat> so let's, <laughs> you're going to live long on earth. I love it. Um, so I want to talk to, to us parents first but kids you've got to listen okay there's there's a lot of kids in here and i need you guys to listen to this um but at the same time this isn't something you get to lord over your parents right like you're not going to go home and later on this week get a little upset and be like well jeremy said all right um because then you're missing the point but you need to understand especially as kids get get older where kind of parents are are coming from in in some areas and so when we when you read aggravate it doesn't mean annoy or frustrate it's not too many dad jokes but it's it's translated to di to discouraged um, to put down to belittle to attack their being to a break to break their heart okay those things are very very different than the discipline that parents are charged to bring to their children and again a little bit of clarifying, when I say discipline, this doesn't mean necessarily spankings or those sorts of things, you know, when you come down on your kids, if that's your deal, um, or not. This is about guidance, okay? There are consequences, kids, to actions, and, and those need parents to be with, you know, held in, in place and gently. But putting down your kids, putting down my kids, um, is, is not what this is, is talking about. As we discipline our kids, we're not, we're not out to, to crush their heart or, or their spirit. And, and that's so hard, right? When, when kid does something and whew, whew, I've brought you into this world and I can take you out. Yep. Because there are moments if we're honest, there, are mo there could be moments daily. There could have been a moment this morning. I know. <laughs> Luckily, I left early. I didn't have any. Um, but they happen. And, and, and it's very hard, particularly when we are, are a little more enraged, uh, to discern whether or not um, we are, are disciplining and or breaking their heart or their spirit. 
I will say this. There's a huge difference between heart, spirit, and will. Right? Um, heart and spirit, we don't want to crush. Will? I will hit that out of the park like Mark McGuire. I'm not going to lie to you. It is age appropriate, but that does happen. And those are the things that we have to be careful for. So uh, heart and spirit, guys, these are things that maybe some of your kids are going to be passionate about. These are going to be, um, you know, maybe just some things that they're struggling with um, that maybe we haven't, haven't come out all the way. Um, will is, it looks, could look an awful lot like, I don't feel like going to school today. Don't care. It's your job. You gone. We're going to talk about maybe why you don't like, want to go to school, but you get to go do this. I don't want to cut the grass. It's too hot. Don't care. You gone. Here's a hose. You can drink out of it, right? So there are some things, and, and that's not like a disciplinary thing. That's just me not, you know, or, or parents just not putting up with, with kids wanting their way versus wanting to sit inside all day. But it's still so, so hard. And, and when we, we talk about disciplining, it's, it's incredibly difficult because as dads, as parents, um, we, can, we, can, we can really mess our kids up, and that's terrifying. Thankfully, um, I, I haven't experienced a lot of what John Eldridge in his book, Wild at Heart, calls a father wound. Um, I've been incredibly lucky um, to, to really not have that. Uh, you know, my dad, he's, he's human um, and, and not, not perfect, and he'll be the first person to tell you that, so I can't say... I can't say that um, it never happened, um, but, but it does. And, and those, are, those are things that, that are, are carried for a long time. <clears throat> and so I want to be careful um, as parents when we are disciplining our children, when we are trying to love them, that we are loving them well and not out of anger. It's really all I've got for you today on that. <laughs> it, and it's not just don't be mean, because a kid's version of mean is, is very, very different than what <laughs> I think mean can actually be, right? But that is not the only part of this. There's a part of this where it talks about kids and kids needing to obey their parents. Sorry, I, I'm not singling you out, Obi. I just looked at you. You're great. Um, hey, kids, so newsflash, in case you didn't know, you don't have it figured out. Periods in between each one of those words. You just don't. And that isn't a reflection on you as a human. That is a reflection on of your inexperience in this life that your parents have that you just flat out don't. Does that make sense? Not a single kid said yes. So therefore it does. <laughs> Thanks for proving my point. Um, this is where your parents are here to help you. I, parents, I mean, you know how it is. The first like three years of your kid's life is just keeping them from killing themselves. They don't, they just run around doing whatever they want to do. And then between the ages of three and I don't know when, because we haven't come out of it yet. Then, then I, well, I say that. Between the ages of three and probably about 12, there's still a lot of 
parenting that is going on, right? Like, don't say that, don't do that, clean this up, how could you swallow this thing, what is going on, don't eat Drano. Like, there's all this stuff that you have to do still, apparently, um, with your kids. But then there's this, there's this magic age, and we kind of are, are getting into this with, with our oldest uh, two, is that now, now it's more guiding. Like, I, like, now I say that, and my son's about to turn 16 and drive a car, um, so that's, that's scary, but there's, there's a lot more guidance that's, that's taking place. And so it's shifting a little bit. And so we've kind of have our, our feet in, in both ponds and that's where folks, if you don't have kids and you're sitting in here, that's where you get to kind of plug in too, right? I've had, I've got, I've got, uh, my bio, my biological father, uh, I have a stepdad, I have a bio mom. I have a stepmom. It's a party. Um, I can also, if I took my shoes off, count all of the other dad figures I've had in my life and mom figures I've had in my life. And it's beautiful. Not all of those people had kids. My kids are so blessed. There's, I, I can name off, uh, again, if I took off all my shoes, I could name a bunch of folks that pour into their lives and, and, it, and, they, and it's well for them. I know that when my sons go over to somebody's house that they've got a secondary mom there. And those other moms, they know that if they need to lower the boom on my kids, do it. That is a beautiful place to be if you are in relationship with kids that aren't yours. Love them well. Love them well. So I'm watching time. And we might go over a little bit, um, but I only pre- preach twice a year, so, or once every two years. So, <laughs> um, so Paul moves from parents and, 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 again, living out that Imago day with your little people, treating them as you would want to be treated, and having a responsibility to protect those kids sometimes from themselves, and, and he, he gets ready to, to jump into then the other place that we find ourselves as humans in daily life, right? Daily socioeconomic, bosses, and workers. Here he says slaves and masters. Now, this is verses uh, 10 through 11 in, in uh, chapter 3 where he's talking about servants and, and masters. Um, and, and really gets into some, some deeper, uh, sorry, sorry, nope, that was a different verse thing I was looking at, sorry. Um, in Colossians, um, this is actually the largest section of the passage is when he's diving into uh, this relationship, uh, but this new nature that we're being called to in light of the entire uh, book kind of levels the playing field. It calls out again that we are image bearers and to conduct ourselves accordingly. Um, and, and again, there, there's some clarifications, but I, because I think uh, as I was studying through this, this passage can be um, grossly, grossly um, mis, misinterpreted. Uh, as slaves and masters, it's not okaying slavery. And if it was used to okay slavery as we know it in our context, um, then that, whoever did that had no concept of who Jesus was or what he was saying in the rest of Scripture. 
But, the, but in our context, we're going to be talking specifically about um, employee and employer. And, and with all of this, um, Paul is, again, telling us to interact with the Imago Dei in mind. And when he's talking about workers, it's how we treat um, our bosses and how we respond, but how we conduct ourselves in that work. In we're, we're working willingly, even when it sucks. Even when we're going and responding to the 18th email from this person that just should have read the email, right? Or the, hey, I need that TPS report, or whatever it may be. We aren't to work for recognition, for recognition's sake, but remain humble in, in what we do. That we work sincerely as working for Jesus himself. That has made my life much, much easier when I remember to do it, which, if I'm honest, hasn't been often. Because when I am working, especially for a boss that is less than ideal, it's hard to work for that guy. But if I'm working as if what I'm doing is for Jesus, it's a little bit easier to work for that guy. Right? And Ephesians goes on to say that we work hard even those in charge of us aren't watching. Going quickly back to the military, when you do any sort of exercise, it's always a three count, which sucks because you do like just so much more. So it's just one, two, three, one, one, two. These are push-ups. Three, two, one. That's how you call all these things out. And so when I was either a, a, a private and getting smoked, which is usually push-ups and a bunch of other nonsense, we're down doing push-ups in a line, and the sergeant's doing one of these, walking back and forth, counting. One, two, three. You know, you're going through this whole nonsense rigmarole. The moment the sergeant turns his back and you're counting out, you're down. One, two, three, one. One, two, three, two. One, two, three, three. One, two. That's just life. <laughs> I shammed out of that all the time. And I knew when I became an NCO that that was the case. Um, but there's no choice. Like, that, that was how, I mean, you know, I didn't yell at my sergeant because he made me qualify. Um, and that's like the dumb stuff. That's going out to the middle of a training area in the middle of nowhere, Fort Lewis, where people haven't lived or been in 20 years, and we're, we're picking up trash. That's stupid. But you don't argue with that. You just go, and that's all there is to it. But it's also was, for, for us in that instance, it was the hard stuff where my buddy just got blown up by an IED and that would happen in the middle of the night but we still had a clearing mission that we had to go through and we were still out for another four days right so the the small things I think can prepare for for those larger things but as workers living that out living that example of Christ within us is going it, it and the hope is is that it makes us a good a good employee but that's not where he stops. Paul moves from, being, from speaking about workers to moving to speaking about leaders, to speaking about masters and, and commanding them to be fair, reminding leaders that they also have someone they serve, which is Jesus in heaven. And as a believer, if you are serving Jesus in heaven and you're working with another person that also is created in that image, you are now both image bearers, level playing field. You are not better because of the position that you hold. Nor are you worse because of the position you hold. Paul reminds them that because they are serving their ultimate master of Jesus, like I said, that there are no favorites. 
and that if leaders do wrong by those they are leading, they will be paid back. Ephesians 5 calls us and leaders to imitate God in everything that we do because we are His dear children and to live a life of love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered Himself up for us as a sacrifice, pleasing and satisfying to God. I've had really good bosses. I've had really, really bad bosses. Um, I've had a lot of different jobs in my day if we're connecting all of these things. Worked for Stanley Steamer for two weeks. That was gross. Uh, Worked for the YMCA with a bunch of kids in a latchkey program. That was fun. I did the Army thing. That was gross and fun. Um, Worked for big companies. Worked for small companies. Worked with a lot of different people. Um, I've been very, very lucky that I've had more good interactions than than I've had bad. Um, I will say that a lot of the bad interactions have also been because I was a really, really garbage employee. And I brought a lot of that on me because I wasn't living this out. And, and I'm not perfect still and never will be. Um, I'm very thankful for where I am now doing what I'm doing. And I have a very good boss and she's absolutely fantastic. And what I've seen in her and, and where I've seen other bosses have a lot of success is that they are servant-hearted. And that these bosses, and if you are a leader, my encouragement to you would to be that, would to be servant-hearted. Asking yourself, how can you bring the best out of those that you are leading? Is that coming down on them? Is that not asking where you can help? Understanding their situation? How can you encourage your people to put in their best and achieve their goals they have for themselves. How are you emulating that? What does that look like in your space? And then leading sacrificially, are you propping your team up for being successful? Are you taking credit? I've had both bosses. You can guess which one I like to work for. My my current boss, um, (laughs) she... uh, was really, really, she did something really awesome. And, and uh, every once in a while, my wife tells me that you need to put your infantry away. Um, and, and sometimes that happens. And she did something the other day, and I said, Dawn, I will follow you into a burning building. And she's like, Jeremy, we're just selling stuff, dude. And I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. Treating your employees with dig- dignity and respect. Are you saying things away from them that you wouldn't say to them in love to their face? How are you treating these image bearers that you are leading? We are to treat them fairly and as equals. It's very, that's being a master, that's a very, that was in very stark contrast to what Paul was doing or talking to in, in his day, those people he was talking to. So you might be a master or a leader in some domain in your life. You may not be, but there's, there's areas where you're in control. But ultimately, you're serving Christ in all that you do and, and those that you are leading. Um, with both slave and master serving Christ, ultimately, this puts you on the same level, again, as equals. There might be an earthly order to kind of how some of this looks, but the heavenly-mindedness changes how we operate within that order. Okay, I'm going to finish up. A couple of quick takeaways, and then, um, and then we'll move on. Priorities as a saved people. 
keeping Christ, Christ then everything else. If Christ is not at the head and is driving the influence in all that we do, relationships with our, with our spouse, parenting, work, it's going to be hard, not impossible. You might have some success not doing this, but living a full, fulfilled, Christ-centered life is having Him at the head of everything in where, it needs, where He deserves to be in the throne of your life. Guys, this is all meant to be done in community. And I cannot stress this part enough. Living this life and loving others well and learning how to work through this happens in community. It's being around other believers and as iron sharpens iron, learning from one another. Showing up here on a Sunday and only on a Sunday, ain't gonna do it. It's good. And we're called to be here. We're called to be here in this community. Thank you, Evie. We are called to be here together. This is what it's supposed to look like in this community, but the actual living it out, man, that's Monday through Saturday. That's where it's hard. That's where gospel community groups come in. Huge, guys. That's where being in community is, is massive. Um, folks need to see when it's hard. We're not living this life privately. We've got to see the hard because there's stuff that I'm experiencing and if folks don't know about it, how can they help me? How can they come alongside of me? How am I going to remove the opportunity for somebody to bless me by giving me good counsel, praying for me, those sorts of things, if I'm not sharing that? Each of these, these topics today uh, started kind of with the understanding that we're to carry the love of Christ has, and, and it's to be demonstrated in these areas that are, are closest to us. And, and all of this is, is to be an expression of, of our inward change in how we're conducting ourselves as image bearers of the Most High. And we are to clothe ourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love. In doing these things, Paul says that that is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. I'm going to pray. Lord, my prayer um, is that, that we would come away from here with these things and, and <laughs> as, as disjointed or all over the places it might have been. Father, uh, my, my prayer is that the Spirit flows through here and, and the people that are in this building or watching online uh, take away from this what you needed them to, um, that uh, I uh, communicated um, as, as best as I could. We thank you so much for uh, you, Jesus, and your redemptive work and how you bring out the best in us. And we pray that we are able to do that in all of the relationships that we find ourselves in, um, marriage, as parents, as workers, as leaders. We pray that you would be in those and move through those, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.